It is Locked on Jazz for the 18th of January. Happy birthday to my wife today. It trade deadline looms and the moments get nervous. We'll talk about what it means for the league, the Jazz, all of that coming up and what the Jazz approaches to the trade deadline. How about some Mike Conley appreciation in the midst of all of this? Clippers and Jazz tonight. Are the Clippers okay? And guard size, ball handling size in the NBA, the evolution. It's all coming up on today's edition of Locked on Jazz. You are Locked On Jazz, your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. How are you? I'm David Locke, radio voice of the Utah Jazz, Jazz NBA insider. This is Locked On Jazz, your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz, giving you insight, expertise, Geeky numbers, and hopefully making it way better to be a jazz fan each and every day. Thanks so much for making Locked on Jazz your first listen of the day. If you're free, it is free. If if you're free, that's up to you. Uh, It is free and available wherever you get your podcasts. It's also up on YouTube where you can join the community and chat. All right, let's, for those of you that are skiers, let's take a moment. Who got yesterday? I know Stacy Romney did. Good, regular, long-time listener. We went back and forth. I just could have sat on Twitter last night and talked to every skier in the world. Oh, my gosh. Yesterday was, she asked, Stacey literally asked me, best day ever? I'm like, I don't think best day ever, but then one of my closest friends who skis, you know, is, or not one of my closest friends, but a close friend who skis, ton, instructor, da, 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 literally said, texted me, today was another best day of the year. I've had 30 of them so far this year, and they keep getting better and better. So, if you're a skier out there and you skied yesterday, DLock09, feel free to tweet me. I have to relive it today because um, I don't think I'm getting out today. Um, well, because that first part, my wife's birthday has actually thought maybe that I'd have some. I do have the ski addiction I talked about yesterday, um, but I thought I'd be reasonable today and go to lunch with my wife. Um, all right. It was incredible. It was totally incredible. It's just amazing. All right. Uh, trade deadline is February 9th. And this is a really hard time of the year for the players, frankly, for the coaches, for the front office. Like Danny Ainge and Justin Zanuck walk into a room and the players like cringe. Um, It's an, you know, it's a hard time. Uh, And it's human and it's hard on wives and it's hard on girlfriends and it's hard on kids. Um, Mike might be the only one of those kids that are old enough to kind of maybe get it. So it's. It's a really brutal time. What's soup? What's interesting for us, and I don't know if this makes it easier or harder, we're home the entire time, other than one day. Our next flight is scheduled to leave on February 9th, trade deadline, um, which is a little funky um, because February 9th is trade deadline, and we fly to Toronto. We cannot delay that flight late enough. Um. So that there isn't a chance that guys get moved while we're on the plane. Um, if if you're a trade deadline trade, because I th- I think it's an afternoon um, trade deadline. So it's just a really difficult time. Obviously, the Jazz have made this an interesting circumstance because they've played so well and they're suddenly in a playoff run that no one anticipated. And so... Everyone expected that the Jazz would go to the trade deadline with clearly being sellers under any circumstance. And frankly, the number one name mentioned around the Jazz right now is Atlanta's John Collins. That's not a sell. That's a guy that you're 
getting because you think it's going to make you better and and help your team and and probably make you better quickly or at least a you're looking believing that that's a piece to your future if you're making that deal. Jazz sit at eighth right now in the West. Uh, we play the Clippers tonight, who sit at seventh, a half game ahead of us. If the Jazz were to win tonight, the Jazz would actually move into a tie for eight or for sixth. I mean, that's kind of where we are. Dallas is two games ahead of the Jazz for fifth. By the way, the same exact time, the Jazz are two games away from being 13th. Game and a half, actually. So it's kind of a crazy spot. I've when when people have asked me what I thought the Jazz approach is, when when Danny Ainge and Ryan Smith and Justin Zanuck have met with the media over the past six months, maybe since the trades went down, maybe a little more. It was clear that they were in like a 36 to 48 month vision to try to improve the team and to build a championship caliber team. That they want that the window for winning a championship with the previous team in their minds was closed and that they were trying to their their effort here is now to win a championship and build a championship caliber team again. And they've got Frankly, an initial piece in Lowry Markin and an initial piece in Walker Kessler, and then we'll see what else. I, I think there's a chance Collins got a role as this as an off-the-bench scorer. That first step is just electric. There's parts of his game that are, you know, super rough. We've talked about him being the kind of, he is the diamond that you're trying to smooth out. Um, Ochai has shown some signs in the last week, but let's see. I mean, it's just don't, not anything against him. It's just a week. Um, so there are these little pieces. That are beginning, and then there's a ton of draft picks. What, while I think that is true, the one thing that kind of a few people have re- reminded me is that things in the league can happen fast. You can think you're on the trajectory to one thing. You could think you're on the trajectory to getting Victor Weminyama in the draft because you have the best odds. You could think you're in the in, in whatever it might be, and then something else happens. You get bad luck, and it changes your trajectory, and, and then it turns out to be better. Like. So I do think the Jazz are in a 36 to 48 month window with most of their decisions, which means that I think they would make a decision that's the for the well-being of 2025 at the cost of 2023. I think they'd make a decision for the well-being of 2026 at the cost of 2023. But there are circumstances what what is clear to me talking to people is that the idea that you have a regimented, strict timeline and order by which this is going to happen, that it's all this, 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 which is a little bit more of kind of the Dennis Lindsay approach, very process-oriented, incredibly well-researched, um, lots of time spent on kind of if this to the A to B to C to D kind of approach. Talking to Ainge over the years and looking at Ainge's history, Talking to Ainge over this year probably is a better way to say that. That's, I don't think that's his approach. I think his approach is to put himself in a circumstance in which he's got the availability to react and be a part of something that becomes available to the best of the franchises for the best of the franchise. And what I mean by that is what I think frustrated him the most about trade deadline last year and free agency uh, the year prior was that they just sat there with their hands on buried. Like they were tied behind their back and there was nothing they could do. Um, I think last year's trade deadline, what might've frustrated him was that nobody 
there weren't a lot of people that jumped at any of our players and that there weren't a lot of moves to be made, that our guys, for whatever reason, didn't move the meter, which may have been telling in some sense of, oh, this is what we have and we're trying to, you know, move our franchise forward. We actually don't have the ability to move a boy on Mike Jordan to compliment Donovan and Rudy. We actually just have to move Donovan and Rudy and start this thing over. So I think what you have to understand is that while you can have this 38, six to 48 minute month window that I'm talking about, I think the other aspect of it is what you really are trying to do is be ready to pounce if necessary. I would guess if we looked back at the Boston Celtics when Ainge gets Ray Allen, Kevin Garnett, and one other to go with Paul Pierce, I'll bet you if we had 12 months earlier said to Ainge like, hey, are you about to go sign Ray, trade for Ray Allen and trade for um, Kevin Garnett? He would have thought we were, you were insane. I mean, frankly, they were really bad. I think they had the second worst record in the NBA that year. They probably thought they were getting Greg Oden or they were getting Kevin Durant or they were getting, you know, instead they took Jeff Green and traded him for Ray Allen. So as you look at this trade deadline coming for the Jazz and even upcoming free agency, Certainly, I think the vision is, does this move help us in 2025 and 2026? And at the same time, it doesn't preclude the Jazz from being involved in other things. I don't believe there's a strict regimented, we have to do this, we have to do that. We have the kind of approach to the way the Jazz are approaching this. And I think it makes the Jazz in a really interesting position um, of what they're doing. Uh the other one that I think is interesting to look at, um, and and we'll get all the rumors. And I'm not going to duck the rumors. I always, I often hate them because they impact our players. But I do think our players are hearing them. Um, Shams reported that um, that the Jazz, you know, John Collins uh, discussion again, and the numbers like it's a, he's a 23 million dollar player with three years left on his deal. So that becomes Malik and and Jared Vanderbilt for all intents and purposes. Like, you can kind of figure that out a little bit unless they have um, Malik's at 15 and um, and Jared's at 4. Jared's 4 it becomes really important because you can move it around. Um, the other, Jordan's at 13 and 4, and that doesn't quite get it done, so you'd have to add another piece to it if that's what they wanted. Um, it, the, math doesn't, the math doesn't work all the way. So, I mean, you can play this game just as well as I can. It's on every single um, trade you know, NBA trade.com, ESPN trade machine, whatever it might be. Um, the one that works on that one, when you put the pieces together is now you can bring in a third team. You can involve Jay Crowder. You can do all sorts of things. And then that changes the dynamic a great deal. But if you're trying to get to John Collins is 23.5, and that's really something the jazz believe in, um, the way to do it is it's actually, uh, and I don't know whether Sexton's tradable. Sexton could be the other one in there. Um, but Malik and Jared, are kind of the two pieces that put together. You can actually whittle it with a Nikhil Alexander-Walker and a Jordan Clarkson, I think, was the other one I played around with. That that actually works um, as well. That gets you to that gets you to write about the same number. Um, I think that actually might have come up a million short, so you're adding a million on it. You get it. You can play the game. I'm not going to do it. Here's what I do think is interesting about the trade deadline that we'll talk about is what's the markets? Um, and, and we'll touch on that. Like, what are the other players that other, the teams that are trying to acquire players are choosing from? I think that's important, uh, to look at as well. Uh, 
today. And so we'll do that as we like, what are the market for centers? What, who are the shooting guards that are out there? Who are the small forwards that are out there? Who are the power forwards that are out there? Who are the point guards out there? We actually have one of each, um, which makes us, you know, somewhat unique in this, uh, landscape of things. Uh, as we look at trade deadline. Uh, today's show is brought to you by our friends over at Murdoch Chevy. Murdoch Chevy is located in Woods Cross. It's also located in uh, Logan. The Chevy lineup of cars and trucks is just outstanding. Uh, the trucks are the Silverado and the Colorado. There's just nothing like a Chevy truck. You know that. It's Americana. There's nothing like what the Murdochs bring to Utah over 80 years. It's a perfect combination of those two. Uh, the tie to Utah, 80 plus years. The Americana of the Chevy truck. The 2023 Silverado is at 2.99 for five years right now with no payments for 90 days. The Silverado is just an incredible incredible truck. Uh, the Colorado is the smaller truck that uh, brings all the same value to you. The SUV lineup is certainly terrific as well. Uh, and there's the first ever all-electric Silverado that's coming out if you want to get you in line for that coming up. It's all over at Murdoch Chevy, located in Woods Cross, also located in Logan. If you're going to head over there, feel free to email me first, and we'll make sure we get you taken care of at Murdoch Chevy. Today's show is also brought to you by Rocket Money. It used to be called Truebill. It's now Rocket Money. It's a really cool app, actually. Um, it allows you to organize all your personal finances, keep track of where you're spending, how you're spending, um, and lets you monitor that. The other thing it does is it makes canceling subscriptions as easy as one click of a button. Simply find the subscription you don't want, press cancel, and Rocket Money will cancel for you. No more long hold times for customer service or tedious emailing back and forth. Over 3 million people have used Rocket Money. They're saving an average of $720 per year. So stop throwing your money away, cancel unwanted subscriptions, and manage your expenses the easy way by going to rocketmoney.com slash lockdownmba. That's rocketmoney.com slash lockdownmba. Rocketmoney.com slash locked on NBA. I think you'll find it a useful, helpful, and uh, valuable app. Plus, if you cancel a few subscriptions, it's totally worth it. Thanks so very much for making Locked On your first listen of the day. For your second listen, Locked On Sports Today is your 22-minute recap of what's going on in sports. If you have a job, a cat, a dog, a kid, a wife, anything that takes you away from knowing everything that's going on in the sports world, Locked On Sports Today is there for you. All right, here's what I think when you start looking at the, it takes two to tango in the trade market. And so do the Jazz have the player that's the most appealing player with the most available contract to be traded for? So the centers that are kind of being talked about are Jakob Pertl, Mason Plumley, and Jared Vanderbilt. Jazz, I'm just including the Jazz player in here. Jazz, again, are interesting because, like, you look at the standings and it's kind of a little hard to tell, like, well, who's doing what? Um, but I think that's, um, you know, that's where, that's, we're going to assume for this conversation. But when you look at the East, I think Charlotte's moving players, Detroit's moving players. They don't have any young centers. Orlando's probably willing to be a seller buyer. I don't know about Washington. They're always kind of in the middle. Toronto, no one's certain about. Um, and Chicago probably has to move either Zach Levine or DeMar DeRozan in a massive deal, but these are not, I'm not thinking about this. And that's, then that kind of gets to be it. Over in the West, the Rockets will move. They don't have any veteran players. The Spurs have Jakob Pertl, we just talked about. The Lakers are only one game out of the play, and I think they assume they're going to make the play, and they're only two games out of the playoff in the top six. I actually assume with Anthony Davis coming back, they could make the playoffs if they make the right move here um, and make the top six. The Suns are kind of caught in between, but I don't think they're about to unload. I don't think the 
Blazers about to unload. The Thunder could unload. The Jazz could unload. Um, so there are just are not that many sellers right now. So Jakob Pertle, Mason Plumley are the centers, probably go along with Jared Vanderbilt and probably Kelly Linick. The power forwards out there are Jay Crowder, Boyan Bogdanovich, and I guess maybe Kelly Linick if you believe Kelly Linick's power forward. The small forwards out there are kind of Kelly Oubre, Eric Gordon's either shooting guard or small forward, not entirely clear, and then Malik Beasley, depending on what you probably should combine these two. Small forwards and shooting guards, probably similar wing players, are Kelly Oubre, Eric Gordon, Terry Rozier, Gary Trent Jr., and then we have Jordan Clarkson and Malik Beasley. I mean, I'm literally just including all of our players. And then the point guards that are out there are super interesting because there is a question of whether Minnesota's trying to get off D'Angelo Russell, but they would want real value back. They have that salary slot. If they let him go in the offseason, they lose that salary slot. And with trading Gobert, they don't really have a mechanism to get other players. But they don't really want to be beholden to D'Angelo Russell forever, but they also need to be fixing their team if they're making a trade. Toronto is interesting because Fred Van Vliet's a free agent at the end of the year. Toronto is hovering at 20 and 25. That's not hovering. That's struggling at 20 and 25. And no one's quite sure what they are willing to do. Are they willing to trade Gary Trent Jr., who I just mentioned? Are they willing to trade Fred Vinfley? And then there's Mike Conley. Corey Joseph is a poor man's backup point guard, but I don't think that does it. Gary Harris is another shooting guard that probably should be mentioned out of Orlando. Again, Washington's a little bit of a mystery to me. I think anybody on Charlotte's probably available, but I tried to highlight the players, you think. San Antonio, Josh Richardson would be another one I might throw out there as being available. I don't know if he moves the meter or not. So it's an interesting market because there's so few players, and yet there's seemingly a jazz player at every single one of those positions. So to Danny Ainge's thing, like they'll be in every conversation and they'll, it'll be there. All right. I want to take a minute or two about Mike Conley. Um, I just think he's been truly remarkable. There is no question that he is fighting his own body right now, right? At six, one and maybe 175 pounds. If he's got enough clothes on and having turned 35 years old, like there's no question. He's not, what he once was he's he's getting off three fewer shots a game than he did in his first year four shots fewer than he did in Utah he 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 doesn't have he's not finishing around the rim the way he once did his career lows and field goal percentage and three points I don't care the guy's incredible you look at our you know first you can go to the clutch games when he was missing Right? We lose a seven-point game to the Clippers. We lose to Detroit by nine in a close game. We lose by one to Phoenix in a close game. We lose to Chicago in a close game. We lose to Portland in a close game. We pull off the miracle against Golden State. When, when he was out of the lineup, and we lose to Denver by five. I believe our record in clutch games was like one and six or one and seven. We won a Memphis game early in the year, so we're like two and seven in close games when Mike Conley doesn't play. Um... And then we just won the Orlando game the other night, which is probably some sign of growth from the from the Jazz. But in that when who we were on November 19th, when Mike Conley goes out nine minutes into the Portland Trailblazers game and you think he's done for the year, like he really, we were, we were rolling, right? We were pretty darn good at that point. We were 17 games in the season. Mike wasn't shooting great. He was shooting a little bit better, but he was just in complete control of everything we were doing as a team. He goes out. I think he comes back, if we're honest, probably way earlier than he's ready for. Like, and he's never had a knee injury before. He and I've talked about it. He ended up dealing with a 
kind of having to land differently. In his first five games back, he shoots 32% from three and 17, 32% from the field and 17% from three. But frankly, he settles the ship. Like we actually win four of our next six. We then go on that little losing string and now we're playing well again. And he's at the forefront of it. It's just remarkable. He's got 14 assists and no turnovers in his last two games. He's altered his game. He's not going to make risky plays anymore because it's there's no dividend for it for him. He's completely helping every single one of these guys develop and understand how to play. He's put the NBA does not have their impact ratings anymore. But with Mike Conley on the floor, I am certain that every single one of our guys has a little bit of an uptick because he puts them in the perfect circumstance. I went to B-ball index to like look at Mike Conley, like the amount of A pluses that he has across the board in his numbers right now. Um, in their passing, A plus assists per passes, A plus assists per possessions, A plus pass creation volume, A plus high value assists, A plus playmaking. He's just been outstanding. And if we can, if if we went to clutch games when he played, you know, suddenly we win the Cleveland clutch game, we win the Minnesota clutch game. We're right in the Philadelphia clutch game a little bit better than we have been against Orlando. We're throwing the ball all around the gym. We end up winning it, but we we're throwing the ball all around the gym. It's he's really with an understanding that he's 35 years old and he's not prime Mike Conley anymore. He's evolved and adapted in such a beautiful fashion. And we talked about it yesterday. Walker Kessler's game yesterday, in large part, some of the plays we're most impressed are because of the fact that the ball was given to him at the perfect time and spot along the way. Perfect time and spot. And those perfect timing spots allow Mike, allow Walker to then make the right play in his development. It's pretty awesome to watch. It's a lot of subtle things. It's a lot of calmness. It's a lot of togetherness. You just, we, we have some ragged possessions. Like you see how little our teams played together every now and then and things get like, you know, they really, frankly, they, they look almost discombobulated and, and, when Mike's on the floor, that just isn't happening. It's just a wonderful um, value that he brings to this team. So Mike Conley appreciation moment on the show. Um, we're 18 and 17 when he plays. Um, and he's just, I, I, and I don't even think that that tells the story um, because of just the way he's played and what he's done. Uh, Jazz and the Clippers tonight. Are the Clippers Okay. They've lost 8 of 10. And the changing data that proves something we've talked about a lot on this show about the changing of guards in the NBA as we continue on today's edition of Locked on Jazz. Today's show is brought to you by our friends over at BetOnline. BetOnline.net where you can get your news, odds, and scores for you. NFL playoffs is a great time to get involved over at BetOnline. What do they got for the four biggies this weekend? Jacksonville is an eight-and-a-half-point dog going to Kansas City. The Giants are a a seven-and-a-half-point dog going to Philly, so Saturday should be blowout Saturday. Game of the week, our Sunday, Cincinnati's a five-point dog heading to Buffalo, and the Dallas Cowboys are a a three-and-a-half-point dog heading to the Niners. I got to figure that line moves. I got to figure betters take Dak Prescott in that one. Don't you? 
Who's the NFL Super Bowl odds right now? The favorite to win the Super Bowl are the Kansas City Chiefs at plus 310, the Bills at plus 340, the Niners at plus 375, then the Eagles at plus 525. NFL draft props are up there. Bryce Young is the likely number one pick of the draft. C.J. Strode is second. NBA... The odds to win the championship right now are Boston plus 400, Bucks plus 700, Nets plus 800, Warriors plus 800, Warriors and the Nuggets plus 900. Warriors are the odds-on favorite to come out of the West still. I'm not sure I disagree. I think I agree. But it's tight. Warriors plus 375 to win the West, Nuggets at plus 390, Memphis at plus 400, and the Clippers at 475. It's all at betonline.net. Your odds, news, scores, where the game begins. Thanks very much for making Locked On Jazz your first listen of the day. Locked On NBA gives you game to game the nightly recap each and every night with one-minute snippets from each of our reporters on the game of their team with the local experts breaking it down. Really great way to recap. All right, the Clippers have lost 8 of 10. They lose last night. Their Paul George was just back from the hamstring, but they're virtually full strength. Their point guard play is just a mess. John Wall's out and injured, but he has not been good. Reggie Jackson is now limited to 14 minutes a night. Robert Covington, who they got and were so excited for, is playing seven minutes a night and just doesn't fit in. Terrence Mann, who was out of their rotation earlier this year, and this is Ty Lue's strength as he plays around with this stuff, is now their point guard, which he's not. So Kawhi Leonard and Paul George are their point guard. They're missing Luke Kennard right now. That's the virtual full strength. And he actually seems to be like the key to their whole roster, which is just insane. But his shooting might be necessary. He's not a good defensive player. And so then you end up with with people being able to go hunt him out defensively. Um, but like he, he's got a calf injury right now. He was out um, last night. So I'm gonna, and he was out on Sunday. So I'm going to assume he misses today as well. Um, but that's the fact is that they actually do need Luke Kennard at a pretty, pretty high level. Um, but there, I watched them the other night. I talked about this on our, our late game watches. They just seem so Kawhi dependent when Kawhi's on the floor to the point, even where like, even when other guys have the ball and they're running a play, it's like, they're looking to see how they can get to Kawhi almost back to it to immediately. There doesn't feel as though there's like any collectiveness to what's going on. And they just, they just seem, they were Kawhi heavy with the ISO. Now, Paul George wasn't playing, but they then not only were they Kawhi heavy, they just felt Kawhi dependent. And it didn't feel right to me at all. It's the first time I've actually been a huge Clipper believer the whole time. I think Lawrence Frank hasn't missed very often in his, in his moves. I watched them the other night. They didn't look right. And even there was a play where like, Norman Powell tried something, didn't get it, flipped it over to Kawhi. Kawhi goes to work, and that happened a few times. And then the next time down, Norman Powell brought it up and was like, all right, we're going to do something else. Like, we're going to do something other than Kawhi Leonard this possession. And, like, he had it, and Kawhi came up and set the pick, and he kind of waved him off. And I, I could be overplaying it, but I was like, oh, that doesn't feel right. So I'm interested to watch him. I don't think Kawhi will play tonight. I don't think Paul George will play tonight. And I frankly think for who they are at this given day, that means the Jazz actually probably get a better Clipper team tonight is all those guys who are feeling what I think I saw, which is just an overwhelming Kawhi dependency, are going to feel as though they get to go go to work. Norman Powell will shine tonight um, on that. 
One interesting note on Norman Powell I will share with you. Uh, Norman Powell was a four-year college player at UCLA, I believe. He had a bunch of different roles there. Came out of the league um, after four years in college. And he, he's listed at 6'3", 215. I've always thought he was actually like 6'5", because he plays seemingly so much bigger than that. And the only thing I think is interesting about him, that the reason I mention this, is that Ochai Abaji is a four-year player, and he's listed at 6'5", 215. I literally thought, when I did this last night, that Norman Powell was 6'5", 215, and that they would be the exact same size. That That's honestly what I anticipated, is that those two were the exact same size, and that they both had spent four years in college, and that they both had kind of, I thought there was like, Abaji came into the league at 22, which is an older um, level. Uh, Powell got bounced around at UCLA with all sorts of different kind of roles and duties, and he came in the league at 22, Um so I don't know. I just thought it was like worth mentioning that I thought those two could possibly be um, somewhat similar. Powell went 46th and Abaji went 14th. So that's a little different um, there. Uh, one note, uh, Jared Dubin did a good piece today. I've been talking about this a lot that I think half the primary ball handlers in the league will be 6'9 or taller by next year. So he had the primary ball handlers in the NBA right now. 37% of them are between 6'4 and 6'6. 29% are between 6 feet and 6'3". 37% are between 6'4 and 6'6". 21% are between 6'7 and 6'9". So that 21% is actually the even number, and I think that's going to skyrocket. The 6'4 to 6'6 number, which is now 37%, used to be 23% 10 years ago, 27% 5 years ago, 4 years ago. And is now 37%. The six foot to six foot three guard was 37% forever, is now down to 29%. We've talked about it a lot. The small guard is gone. Mike Conley will be the first player to ever retire and make the maximum amount of money he could have made in his career for playing when he did. And if he came five years later, he actually probably would have made less money. He'll be like the first player where that is ever true. So will Kyle Lowry. All right, that is locked on jazz today. Jazz Clippers tonight should be fun. Postcast after the game. I'll be back with you tomorrow. Have a good one.